Hungry Trilobite Podcast would like to start by acknowledging these fine conventions. SoonerCon. Central Oklahoma's longest-running pop culture convention is back. SoonerCon 31 is scheduled for June 30th through July 2nd, 2023 in Norman, Oklahoma. It promises a weekend full of tabletop gaming, cosplay, and appreciation for literary sci-fi as well as TV and comics. Visit SoonerCon.com for more information. The Hellmouth Convention. The Hellmouth Convention is designed by fans for fans, with the aim of harnessing the power of fandom to raise money for charities. The Hellmouth Convention celebrates all fandoms, but particularly things like Buffy, Firefly, and Dr. Horrible. Like the Hellmouth itself, things gravitate toward it that you may not find anywhere else. The next event is scheduled for June 9th through 11th, 2023, in Los Angeles, California. Welcome to today's episode of the Hungry Trilobite Podcast. My name is Aaron Bossig, and I'm going to be your host. Today I'm welcoming Shyla Adante to the show. Shyla wrote a movie called The Christmas Dragon a few years back, which was produced as a film, and is now being transferred into an MST3K episode for season 13. Now, you know I love MST3K, and you know I love independent film, I can't wait to sit down and talk with somebody who can appreciate both aspects of the filmmaking process. Let's get started with Shyla right now. On mic today, we have Shyla Dante. How are you doing this evening? Hi, it's great to be here. Uh, I'm really happy we could finally connect. Likewise, likewise. I was so excited. I, I followed you on uh, Twitter for a while. And then I find out coincidentally that a project you did way back when is going to be on my favorite TV show of all time, MST3K. And I could not help but reach out and say, hey, what's going on? Can you tell me more about this? I mean, I can tell you as as much as I know, um, because it was a surprise to me too when I found out. I was actually at work and um, one of the guys down the hall came in. He was like, did you know? Uh, and I had just started this job. He's like, I don't want you to think I'm weird, but when we hired you, I Googled you. And I know that you uh, were involved with the production of you know, this movie. Um, did you know it is uh, slated to be on Mystery Science Theater 3000? And my mouth dropped open because like you, I've been a fan of the show forever. You know, It was pretty definitive in my, my high school days for me. Um, and it was just wild to hear that, you know, something that I had a hand in is going to be on one of my favorite platforms. And that's such a great response because I know a lot of people who would not have that reaction if they found <laughs> out that's where their life's work, well, not your life's work, but a great passion project wound up. They would feel offended. They would feel put down, but you got happy about it. Oh, super happy. I mean, you know, it's, I don't want to say that it's, you know, a, a badge of honor, but really for me, it, it is um, one it's, you know, no publicity is bad publicity. Right. So mm-hmm. um, just having your work out there and, and getting noticed um, is, is really cool. Um, but the, the authenticity that went into making this movie, like, I feel like when I was reading a little bit about it and people saw, you know, that it was a mid, you know, 2000, 15 2012 I don't remember the year it came out film and they were I, I saw people getting a little grumpy about it being you know a, a modern film and you know uh, the show's always really dug into those kind of cult classics um <laughs> but 
I think the the through line is that what I like to see featured, and I think they do a really good job of doing with the show, is finding films that are, were made from an authentic point of view. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's we we didn't go into it wanting to make Sharknado and make something that mm-hmm. was outrageous and just um, you know to to poke fun. Everybody who was involved, from you know my husband and I who wrote it together to the actors to the director, um, it was made with with all the best intentions to put something together that would hopefully bring people joy. And whether it was joy through that initial experience of seeing it or joy through busting a gut and watching people poke a little fun at it, you know, to me, it's it's the same end that you, at the end of the day, we're putting a smile on someone's face. And I, I think that's the highest mark. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And I think you're on the right track there. The, the thing I tend to point out about movies on MST3K, all of them, is that they tend to come from a place of whoever made this movie wanted to put forth the best movie they could make. There's a genuineness, there's a sincerity there. And that's not the case for a lot of the modern movies we see come out of YouTube and so forth. Yeah, I I agree. And, you know, the wanting to make a splash sometimes for the wrong reasons. And I don't mean to shout out Sharknado, but I think that's a great example of a film that um, was made to really poke fun at a at a genre and kind of be outlandish and and that was its point in in existing and that wasn't the point of of what we put together so i i appreciate you recognizing that sure like i just i haven't seen the movie full disclosure mm-hmm. and that there's an intention behind that because right now the movie is available on amazon prime if i understand correctly mm-hmm. yes. anybody who wants to see it right this second can go ahead and do so i'm deliberately holding off to watch on an mst3k because i just really want to experience it that way. Yeah, um, I think that's awesome. Yeah, uh, and then I will go back and, and watch the original. There may be some cuts in there that I'd like to check out. But where was I going with this? The point is, whoever sat down and made this movie, you and your husband and mm-hmm. the actors looked at this and said, I'm really hoping one day somebody watches this movie at Christmas and gets a little happy feeling in their heart. Exactly. I don't know how wide that audience you thought it would be, but that was your intent. And it's going to happen. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I'm hoping that it already happened, but, um, you know, like I said, whether the joy comes from that initial viewing or you're going to get the joy of this communal kind of uh, poking fun viewing, I, I think it establishes the same end. It's bringing a little happiness into the world in a, a time where some, you know, some days it's in pretty short supply. There's a phrase that we used to say when I was a kid and then roughly the same age, I think. So when you were a kid, that movies are magic, Mm -hmm. that you don't know what you're going to experience when it starts and you take that ride. And I don't think we'd say that enough today. I don't think we give ourselves the ability to just get lost in a story and see where it takes us. Yeah, there's so many, um, you know, my husband and I are both big fans of uh, the MCU. So we've seen every Marvel movie, um, every TV show. But I remember those initial viewings, like going into Iron Man 1 and not having any kind of expectation about what that movie was going to be and just going along for the ride and being completely like enchanted and blown away by this world. Um, And not to say that you still don't have that experience, but now, you know, there's so many other expectations that are built in when you go to to watch a Marvel movie. You know, what are they, what are they hinting at? Where are the the Easter eggs that I need to be on the look look out for? Um, And, you know, you still have that pleasant viewing experience, but it's not a, 
it, it feels like it's almost some work you need to put into it now because there's all of these strings attached to it. Um, and I, I think that's kind of indicative of, of a lot of films or franchises uh, that, that are coming out is that it feels like there's there's a lot more we have to engage with and do, and it's really hard to just get lost in a in a film for me anymore because there's there's homework. It feels like you're you're hitting me pretty deep here because I love film a lot. I really enjoy the experience of getting into something, and it is harder these days, especially with these big budget movies. And I remember when the original. Well, I don't remember when the original Superman came out because I wasn't born yet, but. <laughs> I mean, I got into that movie at a very, very young age. I've watched it probably once a year, every year since. Mm -hmm. And the, the idea was at the time, you were just amazed that you could believe he could fly. Mm -hmm. the, the effects had just gotten to that point where it actually worked and you didn't feel like, oh, there's the string there, there's the heart. No, you got it. it, it worked. And now you're down to the level of, are there enough bolts on Iron Man's armor or it's like you are so into the minutia that you're you're checking off a list of things they should have included and mm -hmm. that that's great for a lot of reasons but the simplicity of just saying I believe this is gone yeah exactly exactly I and I don't know necessarily if I should want to have that back but I do yeah and I think that's I don't know if it's a you know, a loss of innocence type thing where movies are just more inherently magical um, when you're a kid. Mm -hmm. But I, I think that the, the state of things has changed. You know, we're, we're putting a lot more expectation, a lot more uh, financing behind single platforms that need to perform in order to make that money back. I just, you know, thinking back when I was 12 years old and I went to the video store and rented A, a New Hope. Mm -hmm. and came home and had no idea what to expect going into that and was just I remember laying like upstairs in bed with a, a VCR to TV about six inches away from my my face just entranced um by that that movie and you know I think about my recent Star Wars experiences and it's just you know there's there's expectation and there's fandoms that come along with things now and there's, there's so many hopes and dreams that get pinned on films before they come out um, and expectations that it's, somebody's always going to be disappointed. And when you go into something having no strings attached and, and no idea of, of what to come, I think you're just more open to the experience. Yeah. Like, for example, I am a huge fan of the Super Mario Brothers movie. Mm -hmm. love it love it love it love it but I love it because like you just said you had no expectations you had no idea what you were getting into it was just a fun way to spend 90 minutes and just be constantly surprised mm -hmm. and if that were to try to happen today people would just absolutely lose their minds because they hadn't it hadn't fit into this preconceived idea of what they should be seeing mm -hmm. and I'm not saying it's a great movie I'm not saying it was a success I'm saying it was a good experience yeah and that's the thing great great movies don't that that doesn't always align it's not a venn diagram that always overlaps you know you, you think about something like yeah schindler's list is a masterpiece but it's not an enjoyable experience to sit down and watch it no um or, or you have a, a movie like the super mario brothers movie or uh god growing up labyrinth where yeah probably not on anybody's you know number one list except for my friend shelby who is a diehard david david bowie stan uh, 
but my God, it was a wild ride from beginning to end. And I've enjoyed, I enjoyed every minute of that movie and, and still it holds a special place in my heart. Um, and maybe it's because the, the, how old I was when I watched it or the experience through it. But I, I think that's something to be said that something, it doesn't have to be good to elicit that emotion in you. Mm-hmm. A week Good, or two ago, in quotes. Yeah, a week or two ago, uh, uh, Olivia Newton-John passed away. Mm-hmm. And the first thing that came out of my mouth was, I really genuinely liked Xanadu. <laughs> and everybody in the room looks at me and I'm like, look, it's a fun movie. It's dumb, but mm-hmm. it's fun. Well, and I think that's what, you know, to, to bring it back to uh, Mystery Science Theater is that's, I think that those are the films that they're picking is not necessarily the ones that were, you know, the banner films of their time, but they evoked an emotion in somebody who was either who was making them or watching them. And it's a real authentic um, experience. I just, it's incredible to me to think about that disconnect um, because I really hadn't, hadn't thought of it before. And it's kind of, wild to think that yeah it doesn't quality doesn't dictate experience experience is all in the in the viewer um and xanadu was lovely so I, i'm i'm right there with you <laughs> yeah. i this is why i wanted to reach out to you and why i was so excited to be able to have this conversation it, is that i wanted to grab somebody right at the moment we're at now where i so many people like you know the, the people who made the godzilla movies or who made i accuse my parents are either long gone or their mystery science theater experience happened when they were in their 80s and 90s. And it was just so, I'm saying it, that you can see where your movie is going in film history. Mm -hmm. And I'm just wondering if there's something looking back on on your experience making it that you could say, yeah, that makes sense. I I can see it was a precursor. It was an omen. Yeah. Um, You know, it's a a weird thing to to think back because it was such a strange connection. Um, that kind of got us involved with the production in the first place. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had been writing, this is a, a long like chain of events. I was working at a Hunger Games fan site uh, and the director of the film, John Lyde, uh, had been making these like little kind of like spec fan videos of scenes from the books. And I wound up running uh, writing a, a couple shorts for him through that. And then he would just send me emails with ideas, you know, hey, um, I want to do, I, I'm thinking of a movie about uh, what was like ponies and pirates. Uh, can, can you write a spec script for me? Sure. All right. Um, and so it would be like an email every now and then with that idea. And then that's how the Christmas dragon came in. Hey, I want to make a Christmas, Christmas movie, uh, but like Lord of the Rings with a dragon. Um, and, you know, I, big fan of Lord of the Rings, always have been. Um, It sounded like fun. So we sat down, we wrote it out. uh, And I think probably in the writing process, we kind of knew that there was something just, it's a weird combination of elements. Um, And I think those are are the ones that are going to get you on this trajectory. You know, you make something a little weird, it's either going to go over really, really well, or it's going to get a little silly. Um, and I think this this film definitely leans over to the silly side. It's also um, a family film. You know, it's it's made for to be able to enjoy um, by an entire family together watching it. My husband and I didn't have kids at the time, so we were writing, you know, what we 
thought as elder millennials um, who grew up on a steady diet of like trauma uh, in our children's films. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so we were writing with, with that memory um, and didn't realize just how intense that was. Um, my niece was about five when the movie came out and she uh, sat down to watch it with her parents over Christmas time. And like the first 10 minutes scarred her and they had to shut it off. And I was like, Oh, okay. Well, that's, that's probably a sign that this is going to uh, be a little bit different because it's a, a different time, you know, different, mm -hmm. different subset of, of viewers. So yeah, um, probably in, you know, spoiler alert, burning someone's parents alive in the first five minutes of a live action film hits a little different in, in the mid two thousands than it did in like 1992. Mm -hmm. I was watching the end of the latest season of stranger things last night. And this is obviously something I am not going to show my eight-year-old child. <laughs> And I, that was very, I don't even know why that thought came to me that I would even try to do that, but I thought the thought, and, and I'm like, wait a minute. Um, I'm remembering watching Neverending Story and the father yeah. is like verbally abusing his son over like not, over mourning his dead mom. And I'm like, yeah. wait a minute. I, I, I'm, I'm, this is basically the same thing, slightly less blood. It's that kind of tone. And I was like, totally okay with watching it. Yeah, well, we think we were, but I mean, now we're we're all adults and, you know, spiraling into whatever hellscape we're heading into. Um, you know, we thought thought it was OK, but maybe not for the next generation. But, yeah, we didn't even give a thought to like appropriateness because we're like, all right, no sex, no, no cursing. Um, that, that's family friendly, right? Yeah. You know, not even thinking about like. The other stuff that potentially you know, harms a child's psyche. So I apologize to my niece and I promise to pay her therapy bill in 15 or 20 years when she needs to recount that, that first traumatizing experience. You know, I, I think you gave the kids some credit that, that she could <laughs> handle it. And I give, I give you credit for that. We got to just, kind of, I mean, we want to be careful about what we show our kids, but as they grow up, they have to see a little more and we don't necessarily want them to mm -hmm. but it's just part of the growing process yeah i i agree and you know you you give them what they can handle and if you you misstep there you have a discussion about it that's what we do with with mm -hmm. our kids um why did we watch with them they're five and three right now and we put the first lord of the rings movie on for them mm -hmm. the other day and i'm like this is sweet you know frodo in the shire and then totally like watch them watching the the ring wraiths show up for the first time and you could see the real fear um but it was all about having discussions in that moment about you know why is this scary it's what do you think is going to happen you know it's but in the end, they they loved it and they were ready to see um, the second one, which was mm -hmm. definitely too scary for them. So we're going to stick with fellowship for a while. <laughs> sure, they didn't they sure. didn't respond well to the um, uh, the the Urukai uh, in that one. Now, you mentioned Star Wars before and, you know, huge Star Wars fan. Obviously, mine has gone through the original trilogy. Mm -hmm. Very much delaying doing the sequel trilogy. Yeah, we're because it's and the the reason being it's very clear is my biggest complaint about the original trilogy if i could even have one is that you never really got why it was so horrible to live under the empire mm -hmm. and it, of all the failures a sequel trilogy might have had that was their big success is that you get why it's a bad thing to live under the empire exactly it yeah yeah 
So, but again, part of that comes into just like you said, it's different phases of life growing up and seeing things differently as an adult than you do as a kid. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of curious to see just what, okay, uh, to have a modern-ish movie on MST3K seems like so much fun just because I think the post, post-2000 post style of filmmaking is ripe for some analysis on their level. Yeah, and I think that's I, ours, I think from what I've read is the most current film. Um, and so, you know, you're going to get some of the, um, oh, geez, how do I want to phrase this? Not the highest quality CGI, uh, which, you know, I, I think is kind of a hallmark from anything made post 2009, because you can give that criticism to you know, the prequel trilogy. Um, mm-hmm. it, it, everything is kind of a product of where technology was at the time. Um, but I think you get to see that, that little snippet of, even though it's a, a film that's based in like a medieval setting, um, there's still like snippets of contemporary thought, what was important at the time, um, to, to the writers, to the directors. Uh, and I think that's going to be interesting to see, because you really do get like this little time capsule of what we thought was important at that moment. Um, so I think that'll be be really neat. And I hope we're not the last. I really, like you said, hope we continue to see um, these, these films, these niche films. I mean, with the, the rise of streaming services, it feels like there's just this host of new voices that are coming in uh, to the, the, the movie market um, that, you know, and again, it might not be everybody's like lifelong dream to have their their show or their film end up on Mystery Science Theater, but having that light be able to shine on different creators or creators who didn't have a voice, uh, you know, in the the era that we're so used to being showcased, uh, I think is a really cool lens to look through. Um, because whether or not you agree that the movie should wind up there, um, getting to analyze it and really dig in and and try to figure out what was going on behind the scenes for the writers, for the directors, for the actors, um, opens up a, a lens into that that period of time. And we've covered a lot of, of time pre-2000, and I think it'll be really cool to see all of these new voices get that treatment too. Yes, absolutely. And that's one thing that it's like the blessing and the curse of this era because we have the streaming services. The good thing is that we are giving so many smaller creators just a chance to get out there. Mm -hmm. The bad thing is that chance can be measured in days, weeks, if you're lucky. As It's like this, I don't call an assembly line. It's just this stream of stuff that comes in and out constantly. And it's so easy to miss something interesting. Mm -hmm. and that's this is a whole like level of like it's almost historic preservation Mm -hmm. of what they're doing you know that these things that would be so easily forgotten or overlooked get this beautiful uh, silly spotlight shined on them in perpetuity it really is historical preservation for films that wouldn't otherwise get that we've seen that so many times with the older movies that that would not be known today at all if it weren't for MST3K, people talk about, oh, they have Godzilla on there. Well, Godzilla is a timeless classic in its own right. 
it would have an audience no matter what happened to it. But what about Mitchell? Mm -hmm. And that's got a fairly big actor in it for its time and still could have easily just been forgotten about completely. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, for people like you and I, and I'm going to say, you know, elder millennials, um, because it that's a term that's traumatized me, so I'm just going to lean in and use it, uh, that that introduced me to this whole world of film um, and got me interested in, uh, you know, movies that came before I was born um, and, and brought me down a rabbit hole of, wow, that was a really silly thing that I just watched. I want to find more things like that. And then that tangent led me to, uh, you know, this subgenre or this subgenre. And then, you know, uh, in high school, I find myself watching, um, I'm trying to think of a classic, A Streetcar Named Desire. Like I can draw a line in my head from watching these films on uh, Mystery Science Theater to finally finding a love of classic cinema. There's a line there that I wouldn't have been able to draw without that introduction point. And when you read things like the Amazing Colossal Episode Guide or the blogs of the people that worked on the show, you can see this amazing love of just the filmmaking process in general, Hollywood history. They're not watching this just to poke fun at something. Mm -hmm. They have a, a reverence for what goes into this because they're all filmmakers of their own in some kind. Frank Conniff has been on the show. Mm -hmm. And we, I, I mean, just what I love to talk about was what it's like to just enjoy film as a fan. I, I don't even think I brought up the show that much. Yeah, uh, you are exactly right. And I think there's a level of like, uh, you know, meta-ness even in, inherent in the show itself. You know, if you were gonna take one more step back and watch the show uh, for, you know, the things that we so often critique uh, on it, you know, plot and, you know, acting and costumes. And you would say, wow, this, this is a pretty cheesy setup on a show. And I think that's just another layer that they don't take themselves seriously. Um, and so it's a lot easier to swallow, you know, the, the gentle poking because you see that there is, they're doing it just like the, the people who, who they're, they're looking at. Um, and I think that's a really beautiful thing that we're, we're all in this together with, with whichever side of the, the process you're on, whether you're the film, whether you're um, the MST uh, crew, or you're the audience watching it all come together, that we're all in this place looking for the same thing. We want to enjoy a film uh, on whatever level that is and uh, do it together and do it in a way that is a little irreverent, but also um, I'm trying to find the right word. Um, It's, it's irreverent, but there's an homage there that I think underlies it all. There's, there's like you said, a reverence that underlies it all. Yeah, we're going to make fun of you, but we only do it because we love you uh, kind of thing. Uh, and I think that's a really cool way to, to go into to film study and film review. And I really think that this medium has brought a lot of people into that scope who might not otherwise watch something with a critical eye um, or watch something to look for a different meaning or a different experience. You know, I, I feel like it sets people on a trajectory to have them explore film um, in a way that they, they wouldn't have otherwise. 
I've been a fan of the show for 30 years and just sitting here talking with you for the last half hour, I've suddenly, something has clicked in my head here. <laughs> it's like you, they're allowed to make fun of the movies because they are themselves creators. But at the same time, because of the format of the show, they literally are the audience too. Mm -hmm. It's the one case where the two can actually meet. They are simultaneously creators and the audience. And we all benefit from that process. Yeah. I, I mean, it, it is incredible uh, to think that, uh, I mean, just the uniqueness of this show and the fact that it's persisted for so long means that they're doing something really special and, and really important. And I, I don't know, and I, I don't know how they must realize it. Um, but I don't know that, that people tell, uh, them enough that, you know, this is something that not only gives a, a huge amount of joy, uh, to the audience, but also, you know, it really helps people find a creative voice. It, it helps them find a critical lens. It gives them this introduction to, um, you know, classic film that they might not have, that might've felt inaccessible otherwise. Um, and I think that's so important for us to recognize, but also for, for them to recognize and for the people who are critical um, of the show that, yeah, it's, it's silly and funny and there, it, it can really, I, I don't know, I guess if you've got a big ego and your your movie winds up on there, it can maybe be a, a hard pill to swallow initially. But when you take a step back and realize that now your film is becoming this like whole new medium um, of, of enjoyment, I, I just, what they have done with this show is incredible. And I hope that they know that, that it's really been um, a, a cultural touchstone for a lot of people what's your favorite movie that was made before you were born oh geez made before I was born um it's probably I'm trying to think of the ones that have been really like impactful and influential in my life and the one that like really rocked me um it was Empire Strikes Back. Uh, I, mm. I have this like vivid memory. I knew nothing about the Star Wars trilogy going in. My parents weren't Star Wars fans. It was kind of something I, I stumbled upon at the local video store, you know, finding a cool box and I'd watched the first one. And that um, gut punch of a reveal at the end when you find out that Darth Vader, and I know it sounds really cliche, but I had no idea nowadays because it would have been spoiled about two weeks before the movie came out, but having that visceral reaction, and I just remember sitting there and thinking, I want, I want to make people feel this way. Um, and, you know, I would, after that, I think I was like 11 or 12 at the time, my grandfather had one of those old, um, like, over-the-shoulder camcorders that weighed about you know, 600 pounds and it didn't really work right sometimes it would shoot in color and sometimes it would shoot in black and white depending on how it was feeling but I would borrow that and I would go out and just like shoot movies um you know I was in on um, the old uh what was it a gateway computer typing up scripts in like my uh, notepad um, and printing them out on a dot matrix printer and passing them out to my friends and every school project I did was some kind of, of movie. And I think all of that came from having that experience um, 
by myself with that movie and, and just wanting to get other people to feel that way, wanting to be the, the locus for somebody else having that kind of experience. And that, I mean, you, I can look at that and then see, um, you know, my path all the way up to this point of just wanting to make something that makes someone feel at some kind of way, you know, it, happy, sad, scared, surprised. And it, it all started from that singular experience of that reveal. Okay. That's an amazing answer. <laughs> it truly is. And I, I, I mean, you, you, I was going for what it would take to dissect for the average person, not you, cause you're a trained professional. This is what you live and breathe, but for the average person to dissect what the empire strikes back meant to the world and how well it was crafted and the amazing I mean, it's it's probably one of the top 10 movies ever in my mind, just because of everything you just said. Mm-hmm. But then to go out and say, you can have your choice between dissecting The Empire Strikes Back or The Killer's Shrews. The Killer's Shrews might be a more attainable project for most people. Mm-hmm. And that is where MST3K comes in, is they can say, we can give you something that if you don't quite get the words right, if you don't quite get why this works, that's okay. We're just talking about Killer's Shrews here. Yep. Exactly. It's, it's accessibility. It's all yeah. about accessibility. And that's what they bring. Um, that's what this, this whole communal experience brings is the, the ability to enjoy something, get into a little bit of, of dissection and critique and understanding, but in a safe place. Because at the end of the day, it's not Schindler's List. It's not Empire Strikes Back. It's this silly movie about a dragon that pulls Santa's sleigh, um, and it's okay to to laugh and maybe not not do more than that. It, it it's okay. Well, this is awesome, and I, I there's so many places I want to take this conversation here, but I also want to ask, where are you going from here on out? Do you have any projects percolating that we should keep an eye on? Um, yeah, there's a a couple things. Um, so I am a published author. Uh, and that's it actually all ties back into this relationship that I have with um, Mainstay Productions, which is uh, part of the one of the production companies that worked on Christmas Dragon is they sent me a, uh, a prompt, a one liner um, about geez, 10 or 12 years ago now that they wanted to make a, a movie about good and evil fairies. So I wrote a spec script um, that that they passed around. It never gained any traction, but I retained um, the the novelization rights. And so that uh, book uh, was published in 2020, Garden of Thorns and Light. So that's out there. Um, if anybody with, you know, a, a production budget wants to reach out about, you know, turning it into the film that it was uh, originally scoped to be, that would be super awesome. Um, let's see. And then the, I'm working on a, a new novel now um, about uh, the, tangentially based on the three fates. Um, and uh, I'm hoping that that one will be drafted by the end of the year and we'll be looking for a publisher next year. You've got a website and you're active on Twitter. Uh, super active on Twitter. My website, I don't think has been updated because I'm terrible. Um, but yeah, I'm super active on Twitter. Feel free to reach out to me. It's at Jedi Shywalker. Uh, like obviously Star Wars has 
completely shaped my life. That's been my handle since I was 12, I think, on AOL Instant Messenger. Um, at Jedi Shywalker on Twitter. And I'm trying to think if there's anywhere else, but it's it's pretty much Twitter. Um, I have an Instagram at Shyla Adante, but that's a lot of like pictures of my kids being cute, which is, you know, there's a niche for that. But if you're looking for like spicy content or retweets um, or uh, me live streaming when I finally get to watch this episode, it'll definitely be um, on Twitter. Uh, so yeah, reach out to me there. I'm always down to, to chat and talk and I have like, you know, five followers. So follow me. Awesome. Yes. All of that is going to be in the show notes on my website, aaronbossig.com. I'm going to make sure that I link to this book. And actually, I would like to read the book and watch the movie. The episode is going to be dropping in December. Mm-hmm. I, want to say, yeah. I, I want to say December 5th, December 3rd, somewhere in there. Uh, the but, Christmas episode. Like, yes, that's awesome. Yes. So once I see all that, I would love to digest it and circle back and talk to you again. You're welcome back on the show anytime. Sure thing. And I'd, I'd be happy to. I think we're all just kind of waiting with bated breath till December to see where this goes. Absolutely. Shai, thank you so much for being here. I've had a great time. And again, I would love to have you back. Awesome. Yeah, uh, definitely. I would like to thank Charlotte for being my guest today. And I would like to thank you for listening. We are approaching the fall season. In fact, it's right around the corner, and that means a lot of things, one of which is I'm going to be indulging my love of coffee even a little bit more. I drink coffee constantly, and the cold weather just makes me want to sit more and more, and I'm going to confess the caffeine is not always working in my benefit. There are times when I just plain have a little too much, I get all jittery, and that works against my creative spirit. So I'm going to take a new path in life, and I'm going to order some Tranquil Traveler Decaf. This is something from the Sci-Fi Coffee Company that is a special blend of sweet chocolate and Swiss water with a balanced nutty finish that is going to help me be creative without being crazy. You can order it at sci-fi-coffee.com and you can use the coupon code HUNGRY, as in Hungry Trilobite, for 10% off. Don't forget, you can subscribe to this show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, anywhere you listen to podcasts. Thanks so much, and we'll see you next time.